Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? When I was young, my parents always allowed my brothers and I to purchase books from the Scholastic Book Fair. And my brother every year would purchase the new Guinness Book of World Records. Whatever like the new version was, that was what was on our coffee table at home. And some of the records in that book, I am certainly glad I do not hold them, but many of them celebrate the triumphs that people have accomplished. So what does it feel like to be a champion, to put in all the hard work, to be the very best? Dave Walsh has been competing in Disabled Strongman since 2017, while he was first this past year in the UK holding that title. The gold has eluded him at the Worlds, and he is itching to get to Canada for this year's competition and kick some butt. So Dave is such a fan and advocate of the disabled community and disabled sports. He publishes a podcast himself featuring other disabled athletes discussing their sport and how sports can be adaptive and inclusive. Dave infuses his core values of fun and humor into all aspects of his life, including pushing through the pain brought on by his MS. Let's chat it up with Dave. Hi, hon. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. That was such a good intro. I've never had it like that before. I was just wonder if you, if I could hire you to make an intro in every room I go to. That'd be amazing. <laughs> hey, I'm down. I'm down. I love this stuff. How long have you been podcasting? So I think at the end, of, I've only done maybe seven or eight, but I, I pushed those out and they were published in the UK on the radio. So they, they went out live on the radio. The, the reception from it is it's just outstanding. It's not nothing on me because I, I just asked questions, but some of the athletes I've had on, in fact, all of the athletes I've had on is just, they motivate me to, to keep me going and they're, they're absolute amazing stars thank them for coming on and taking the time to chat nonsense with me <laughs> when i turn on my riverside platform and then all of a sudden i can tell there's somebody getting on there i get like exhilarated because i get to learn all about them so that's pretty cool yeah and for me it was about the outcome as well because first podcast and about a week after i was a bit, a bit worried about it because it's my first ever thing i was only doing it because i wanted to learn more about sports myself so and i released one with bradley betts who's a wheelchair bodybuilder and about a week after that one went out on youtube i had a message of someone saying because of listening to that podcast they've started bodybuilding in the disabled category so you know is is the reason that we athletes share our knowledge and we like to put it out there and stuff so the outcome was just amazing yeah no doubt right because you never know who that person is that's listening on the other side and how it's going to impact their life that's the whole point 
Yeah, because we, we would do it, a lot of athletes just do it personally for, for themselves. If I would still be doing Disabled Strongman if there was no social media around it. So to know that people are taking something away from it and taking so, something so positive is pretty cool. Absolutely. So I know I mentioned a little that you have multiple sclerosis diagnosed in 2014. Could you share with us a little bit about your quick diagnosis story? In 2014, I was competing in able-bodied strongman. So I've been competing since leaving the army in 2010. So I've always been an active person. And for me, finding able-bodied strongman was was quite helpful because when, when I left the army, I didn't really have a lot of friends. And I was in an area that I never grew up in. So I didn't overly know a lot of people. I just, just knew my wife and that wasn't enough, even though she's okay. She's she's. She's not everything. So I started I started uh, competing in strongman and straight away I was hooked. So I competed up and down the country as many times as possible. I got to the heavyweight category where I was competing against some of the best in, in Britain and even some of the best in the world. And in 2014, while I was training for Britain's Strongest Man, I started to go numb in my, my right arm. And I was working quite a lot. I was working about 90 hours a week and then training on top of that strongman I was basically doing a night shift to a day shift to a night shift to a day shift while my wife was studying at a university so basically I was working too much and she made me disabled is, is how it goes down but no I, I went numb in my right arm and I was I kind of left it I thought it was quite funny my mates thought it was funny you know we were just doing dude stuff just you know punching it see if it do anything but yeah I, I just left it and thought it was a trapped nerve in my neck and eventually it'll come out or I'll get a sports massage and they'll, they'll fix it but it spread from my right arm to my body and my left side and eventually it was pretty much everywhere um, so I thought yeah this is this is a bit serious I told my wife she told me to go to the doctor I ignored her another month she told me again <laughs> I listened this time and then I went I went straight to the doctor they asked if I was having a stroke I said I don't think so I've never had one before but this has been about two months so probably not and then they sent me straight to the, the hospital and then I had the the good tests the MRI the blood tests and uh, a lumbar puncture I'm not sure if you've had a lumbar puncture there they're quite fun um I'll take my kids to one for their like 16th birthday just to treat them but no that was an, that was an experience a lumbar puncture it took because I was a bigger guy it was quite difficult for them to get for me to get in the right position and I had two doctors with me I had a proper doctor and a junior doctor and and a nurse and my wife uh, and me was all, all in this room and they were they were pumping pumping stuff out of my back and they kept missing and drawing out blood and you know I could feel them hitting the spine and just scraping against it and they took I want to say they were there for about five hours, kind of. I mean, they weren't. That was an exaggeration, but they were kept pumping and pumping. And they they said, if we don't do it this time, you've got to come back and get it done under X-ray because you're big, and then we can see what we're doing a bit more. So they they did it the last time, and they got it all out. They they did what they were made to do. We thanked the Lord, and as they were walking out, they dropped it on the floor, and it splashed everywhere. And there was oh gosh, there was. You know, I, look, I looked at the doctor, he was crying. I looked at the junior doctor was crying. I looked at the nurse, she was shaking her head. I looked at my wife, she was laughing. And then we, yeah, we, we <laughs> had to do it again. But by the time I had my second MRI and my um, 
well, and then I had an appointment with a neurologist who said, yeah, no, we, we know you've got MS. You don't need to have a liver puncture because of the history of my family, my uncle's got MS. And then because of the, the, you know, signs on the MRI, it's very clear. So I was like, yeah, thanks. Can I just go to the MRI, uh, to the liver puncture instead? Because it was such a good day. But yeah, and that, that, it was that. So literally from going to the doctor to being dark, told I have MS was, was like a month. It wasn't... You know, I hear people who have horror stories of it, but for me, it was so quick. And that is because my uncle's got MS. So it is in my family. My uncle's got it, my grandmother had it. And and yeah, from then, I, I was just MSing around. And yeah, that's when I was told I got MS and um, not really sure what to think about it at first because uh, my uncle's got it. I was kind of basing everything on him and he was kind of in the worst, quite, quite bad state. So I kind of just thought, hmm. It's not, not going to be great. And yeah, took, took it from there. So you're hilarious. I also am just curious because when you were first diagnosed, it was relapsing, remitting, right? Now it's progressive, yeah. So so the same scars have just got worse over time. And I think it was diagnosed as progressive in 2019 or 18. It's pretty pretty quick on. He, he kind of says he thinks it, was, it was, should have been progressive from the start, I guess, because you know, the symptoms have never gone away. So I've still got a numb arm and some of the, the leg pains, are, well, it's all the leg pains still there. But yeah, it's now progressive, which for me, in a way, I'm quite, quite appreciative of because when you have relapsed remitting, you never know. At least at least I know what's, what's going on. And you use a mobility device right now, right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm permanently in a wheelchair. I can't, I can't walk. I, I think I can do about two steps. So I kind of crates myself up on the, the bedside table and then from the bedside table it's about two steps to the toilet through through his, through his door and then so I put one foot in the right place and then I think I take a couple of steps to the toilet but my wife says what I do actually do is I fall and I just I'm just lucky when my where I'm landing which <laughs> which is great really well one day I'll get I'll get caught out there and land in the right, wrong place <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so she must be amazing in, in helping you in everything. I mean, I mean, let's keep this podcast about me. That's what we came for. Not she gets <laughs> no, but she she is fantastic. She's she's a real. She see, I hate saying the word. She's a realist, but she sees it as it is, and she'll tell me as it is. If I she notices when I'm struggling more than I notice when I'm struggling, so she she'll just tell me, and we we've, we've come to a, an agreement that what she says is is right so I'll, I'll just listen to to whatever she goes with if i'm struggling she'll be like go get the go get the cbd because you know that's it kind of pick, perks me up a bit or if she knows that i'll struggle in a situation she'll pre-warn me basically but yeah no she's great i can do anything uh without her really but she's not here right now they went away for the weekend having a nice uh day free holiday but the kids and the dog and everything's <laughs> away so i'm just just on my own but yeah she's okay five out of ten <laughs> yeah and three kids i mean you have a lot on your plate and that that little boy he's a mini you isn't he he he's okay, yeah. He's probably my favourite. Um, so <laughs> I've got I've got two girls that have grown. That you know they're they're fourteen and twelve. So they've had their time with me. So they they kind of remember the guy I was. So before I had MS, I was I was able to kind of just play whatever they wanted and just be on the go all day with them. But then they they seen it me deteriorate, especially the oldest ones. You know, it's 
bit a lot. They see me deteriorate over the years and get to the get to them now. I remember Ava, my middle one, she kind of she remembers the last time we wrestled, and I said, "Yeah, oh, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it soon." Because the reason I stopped really is because they kept beating me. Was that really <laughs> cool? They they noticed that I um I was deteriorating and. That that kind of upsets me a bit. That like she she remembers the last time, and she remembers asking if we could do it, and I was like, no, no. But then with Reggie, because he he's obviously just four, he doesn't remember me being able to walk. Or for for him, everything I am now in a wheelchair or having these issues are normal to him. So we we kind of play differently. So I'm a different type of dad now. So we'll play with toys like figures rather than um, actually playing. On, on the floor and stuff so yeah kids are right how do you think that the kids have transitioned do you think that they're doing all right yeah yeah so i think my my oldest i think is probably uh was the most because she's the one who kind of if mum's not around she'll try and help out more she'll try and pick up the slack but the, the middle one she's she's crazy so she she doesn't care she would she wouldn't leave. she she would tell us if she cared but yeah no i think i think the <laughs> oldest one is, is more affected by it which is, isn't fantastic, but, you know, as, as a family, we just kind of get on with it. And quite a thing is that you notice is that we, we've got quite good humour around it. I don't get offended about joking about something or they try and offend me, but it doesn't happen. But yeah, that's that's kind of how we, we, we cope with it, I guess, is a bit of, bit of humour. And the kids have got the humour as well unfortunately for me. <laughs> I love it though, because you guys can go banter back and <laughs> yeah. forth. But it's four on one. <laughs> so... <laughs> oh, well, I see. <laughs> I don't know. I think you can hold your own pretty great. Yeah. I gotta yeah, I say. It, it all comes down from me at the end of the day. They, they get their humor from me. Without me, they'd be nothing. <laughs> it's true. It's true, dad. Own it. So, but you're no slouch. I mean, you are the strongest disabled man in the UK. And so what, what drives that for you? What is it that you love so much about being a strong man? I love, so, so I think I, I remember when I stopped able-bodied strong man and I kind of felt I was forced out of it by my MS. So my, my last contest was, was, was really bad. I was struggling to kind of move weights that I know I could have moved easily in training. I, I was struggling to like even get to the place where I was supposed to get to. I was falling over quite a lot. And even on the big Atlas Stone event, I, I picked it up and I think it was about 140 kilos. I picked it up to my lap and I fell backwards with, with the, the big 140 kilo Atlas Stone on me. So because of the abysmal contest uh, and performance I put in, I, I, I felt I had to leave Strongman. And from from that point, plus 2017, it was it was hard for me. I, I struggled massively mentally. I was not overly a, a nice person to be around. Not not in a I was never violent or anything. I was just kind of a, a person that, you know, I was resentful of of life. And yeah, it wasn't a nice period. I call it my dark period. And my main symptoms was was the pain in my legs. And I asked the pain surgeon or pain doctor if he could amputate my legs. And he said no, and I was a bit gutted. So I went home and I, I devised a plan of how I could do it myself. Just to think that you sat down and thought about it. And I, I, I drew it out and everything, and I think it would have worked. You know, I think it was quite a good plan. But after a, a bit of a reality kick, I was, I was telling my wife about it, and she was like, you know, the first part of the plan, I'd have to climb out the window and jump. But 
I needed help to get to the window because I couldn't stand up. So she was like, I'm not helping you. So the plan's ridiculous. I was like, oh gosh, I thought about ages for that. But I was diagnosed with, with depression and I was on and still am on antidepressant uh, tablet medications. And then when I when I decided to, to get back into the lifting and back into disabled strongman, I, you know, I just saw myself getting week by week better mentally and, and month by month and into a, a person I am now. So what motivates me or makes sure I keep on going is that I know how, how dark it's been and I don't, I don't want to get back to that dark place, not just for me now, but for my family and for everyone who, who cares about me, I guess. So I, I don't want to get back to that place and I know I'm enjoying life so much more now, even more probably than pre-diagnosis and stuff. It's all right, actually, now. I've kind of swirled off the question. Um, but yeah, what motivates me is the dark times. <laughs> you went away from what was making you the happiest and coming back to it obviously made you remember those feelings. But you said that things are better now than they ever were. Could you Tell me a little bit more about that. How could that be? Yes, I kind of, during the, the, the dark time, I kind of had my, I feel like I had my masculinity kind of stripped and, you know, back down to, to, to nothing. And I think of the person I am now compared to the person I was in the military or, or something, I was very much, you know, like, I am man, man is right, this is this is me, I eat meat. But, but now I, I feel like I can see things from different perspectives and I think that maybe it was for me maybe maybe I, I was put on this earth to kind of spread a bit of awareness for not not just for multiple sclerosis but for disabled sports and, and and the fact that you can you can do whatever you want to do regardless of whatever so um back in 2000 and and 12, when I started doing Strongman, take it seriously, I wanted to get to Britain's Strongest Man. So now I can say I'm there and I'm actually Britain's Strongest Disabled Man, albeit disabled, but, you know, I, I went, had to get through a lot to get here. And I, I kind of appreciate everything up to this stage. Right now, I get, like, quite a bit of free stuff off people, which I wouldn't get before. So free stuff is always good. Who doesn't like free you know stuff? I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll take things I don't need if it's free. I mean, yeah. Yeah. just giving it out. Sure. I'll take one of those. I don't know what I'll do with it, but I'll have it. <laughs> That's a pretty cool yeah. perk. I'm sure the, the listeners can hear that you have the greatest sense of humor. And so getting all of that stuff infused, fun and humor as your core values, how does that play out with your multiple sclerosis? Um, so I, th- I think that I'm very, I'm very humor, humorous around it. So if, if I, I remember when I used to fall over, I used to make a joke about it and try and do like a little commando role that was taught in the, in the military and try and play it out all cool and smooth. It never worked, but I was just trying to, <laughs> to make light of the situation. I can't walk, but I'm in a wheelchair, so I can laugh about being in a wheelchair. So sometimes I do it to kind of make people feel awkward in that first instant while you, instance while you meet them. And sometimes I do it just because... Just I, I, I can't take anything seriously. Even myself, you know, it frustrates me sometimes. So people around me, when they, they want me to take something serious, it's having MS, I, I, I don't take it serious. I don't take, I don't take anything serious. So yeah, I just try and get everything around humour with, with all of the symptoms and 
So we talk on the show about core values and I can say that I like some humor and I can go to a comedy show and that's humorous, but it's more than that. I got to infuse it in my work. I got to infuse it in my day. I got to, it's just got to be everywhere for me in order for me to, to feel like it's making sense. Yeah, definitely. And for the last last week, I was at work doing a, a wheelchair awareness campaign at my in my office just to show people how inaccessible even the littlest of things are. And while we were going around, people that came around in wheelchairs with me, kind of like a tour, which was quite a cool event, to be fair. But as they were going around, they were like, we can't believe you, you, you have to go through this. And if I didn't have the humour... Or, or the the comedy side of it, I probably wouldn't go through it. I'd probably moan like like these able-bodied people were doing, just sat in a wheelchair going around sight once. <laughs> but for me, because I can joke about it and laugh about it, I just get on with it, and that's kind of how it is. It sounds like a healthy humor to me. It sounds like you deal with all of the MS stuff, but you just keep it lighthearted because we can laugh it off. And not deal with it, but you are you. You're facing all of the things too. Yeah, and don't don't get me wrong. I have bad days where I kind of don't find things funny, and people around me know when when that's happening, and they, they know how to kind of get me out of that that bad day rut. So no no one has a hundred percent of good good times, but. When I'm around other people, I think I bring out my, my, my best Dave. The best Dave. I like that too. So yeah, that event sounds pretty awesome. First off, I love how you call people able-bodied people. <laughs> like that is a, like a tag thing. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I can't imagine all these people in wheelchairs going around your office. That's yeah, it was pretty cool. There's only two people at a time, but I did it all week and, and it was kind of like, it's mainly around the outside of my office, which is pretty big. I ended up going around about 40 times. I was knackered. When it came to yesterday, everyone else was like, oh, my arms are tired. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Cheers, mate. You know, got another 20, <laughs> 20 times. But no, it's cool. I work for a business who's willing to, to learn and willing to change. And, you know, I didn't overly do it just to, to moan and just to be like, right, we need to change this, 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 and this. I did it so people could appreciate the, the things that wheelchair users go through just to, to come to work in this office. And if they were to have a, a customer, because I work with a company that has customer services and we have customers come to site. I work for a railway uh, industry and we have customers that come to site. If, if, if you had a customer to turn up to site in a wheelchair and you don't know how to approach this, you know, you're just going to look embarrassing and you're going to be embarrassed when you see them struggling to get around to the toilet because you don't know which way to take them. So take, take the time out to learn this because you never know. And you never know, you might wake up one day and, and need, need a wheelchair yourself. You know, I, I basically sat down one day and never got back up. So Yeah, it's not like you planned that out. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> you have to deal with it. You might... Might as well think about it before it happens. Just they, to they have were asking that. me. They were like, "Are you not going to show us how to use a wheelchair, Dave?" I was like, "I didn't go on a course to learn how to use a wheelchair. You know, <laughs> you just get in one." <laughs> the transition in and of itself. Like I talk to lots of people that use mobility aids that aren't in a wheelchair. And the accessibility piece is a real situation. And it's very different over where you are as well. I don't know what the standards are and if all of those older buildings are fitted 
to make sure that you, you know, they're accessible for you. What is that like? Yeah, so I, I work in a building that is it's quite a big old site, but it's, you know, it's a site that holds like 4,000 people, which is huge. And then there was an argument maybe last year. So, so I lead a disability network at work. So I sit on the, the board of inclusion directors and I have a voice there to kind of shape for my people. I, I go on that board. I was saying about the, the sites aren't accessible. And then one of the actual directors of the, the company who sits on the board, he just comes in. Um, he said, well, we can't do it all because the buildings are old. I went away and thought about it. And I've got a, a list of old buildings in the UK, which are much older than our building. And they've been turned to be accessible. So you can't argue anymore. We, we live in a a time where you can do anything so you can make a building accessible kind of it's depending where you go it's depending how it's going to be there's a lot of old uh, cobblestone areas and a lot of places which is great they kind of um, rent out for free mobility scooters which is much easier than a wheelchair they're designed to go over all the the cobbles and get on the grass and older places you go have them which is fantastic it's brilliant and you don't have to pay which is even more brilliant because i can afford that so <laughs> it's it's yeah depending where you go it's depending on what you do but uh, i kind of think that we we can't use the excuse anymore that we live in an old area because there, there are older areas in in the world that are being made accessible and made easier for people to kind of bring out their full potential and, and turn up. It's a will, not a skill, because we have the skills and tools to make that happen. It's about the their will and wanting to do that for their employees or whomever is going to be using the facilities. And so that's really awesome. I didn't know that they made devices so that you can go over the cobblestones and things. And it does make a difference. It means you can spend more time with your, your family and you don't have to worry about you can be independent in one of them. So that, and that's that's all we want, really, isn't it? It's independence when it comes down to it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Dave, did you guys know Dave has an alias and he calls himself Sitting Bull UK? And I think if you see Dave, you can probably understand what it means. But will you share with us a little bit about how that came about, that nickname? Yeah, so I was kind of, I was looking at maybe like not reinventing myself, but when I was getting properly back into Disabled Strongman, I thought maybe I could play around with, maybe I could have something knocking about. And I, I was sitting down a lot and it just, you know, sitting ball just came to my head. I was like, oh, let's, let's, let's use this. And yeah, pe people kind of enjoyed it, I guess. And it gave me a chance to kind of bring myself out a bit more to, to communities and it kind of made me realise that people are okay as well. When I was just bringing myself Dave out there, I wasn't very interesting. I, I, I was the same person, but I, I just feel like when I had the, the sitting ball come out, he, he made a difference. He was pretty cool. And then my cousin designed a logo and it was like, oh, this this will do. All started uphill from then, which doesn't work because I'm in a wheelchair, so this case working like that, yeah. <laughs> And I know it has, it's imprinted on the seat that you use, right? What do you call that, that you sit on while you're lifting? Yeah, so that, that one's called, that's just 
the cold stool, I guess. Oh. I mean, it wasn't. Yeah, it's not. It's not. So, it's just something a welder made. Someone who who worked with metal, he, he just made it, and he just sells it for like you know peanuts, basically, just so people can can do it. And he he's actually the guy who runs the sport in the UK, runs Disabled Strongman in the UK. Gary Clark, a good mate of mine, and yeah, he he just put the logo on it. I didn't even know he was doing it when send it over and yeah it was it was amazing i loved it and it goes with me everywhere i go at events if people want me to go to a gym event and i'll do take that seat to kind of do the deadlift on and yeah it's pretty cool <laughs> it is it's pretty awesome actually and it's something that represents you he, he he made the colors he made it a yellow and red and i didn't didn't ask for any colors but he, he just did what he wanted so it, when it turned out i was like yeah i really like these colors so i kind of went with that as as a bit of a theme about a simple yellow and red like i've got yellow straps i've got one yellow one one red one and yeah he just made that my color i guess which is cool when is the the it's in june right the next competition in canada yeah yeah the next competition's at the end middle of june in in canada yeah, and that's the world's strongest disabled man which you know i'm training quite hard for now and i'm taking it seriously ish i've got a good coach and i i feel like this this time is is going to be a good a good time for me i went last time well the first year i came second i just i didn't really go with any expectations because we were kind of still in coronavirus territory it was very lucky that we we got to compete at it and then i came second and then the next year i just said I just don't want to drop from second place. I don't mind if I don't win, but I just want to make sure I'm second place still. But while I was there, I did okay. I did all right. And I was actually leading leading at one point. And um, going into the last event, I was just one point down. I was like, I really want to win this now. I just want to win it. And then there was going into the last event, there was actually a, a wheelchair malfunction. So the, it was a kit error where, where I lost. And I'll, I'll put it down to that. I'll be you know, miffed off about it till the day I die. But as I went up, you get given wheelchairs to use because they have to be quite heavy duty. Well, I picked up an Atlas stone and you pick it up from your right and you put it on a barrel to your left. As I was picking it up, the brakes broke on the wheelchair and I couldn't um, I couldn't stay still. So as you, you see videos of me, I was trying to put it up onto the, the platform and the wheelchair was kind of going in the other direction. So it, I just get that. I put it down to that as, as my, my loss. But no, nothing against the guy who won. He was, he was obviously... Uh, stronger at the end of the day but this this is the year for me this is the year i'm gonna i'm gonna show him gonna show him who's boss <laughs> this is it man because that was a like a technical glitch and had that not happened who knows who'd be sitting in that seat so this is definitely the year for you i am rooting for you all of the listeners are rooting for you i see you on instagram lifting the weights okay if you haven't checked out dave on instagram you have to see him because as he's lifting, the bar bends, and you yeah. think that the weights are going to fall right off. I cannot imagine you holding that up. It is incredible. Yeah, it's quite cool. And I went, I went to a primary school, at which I don't know if you call them elementaries or mm -hmm. the first school they go to a few weeks ago, and I was talking to them about how much I deadlift. And 
I went, they, they were all pretty, pretty impressed. And, you know, I was, I was kind of like, I can deadlift a bear, you know, I can, I can deadlift a grand piano, and I was like, which, which was all quite cool, really. When, when you put it next to something that you can, you can see, like, like a bear, it, it makes it quite a bit cooler. And I can deadlift more than a bear, but, you know, the bear's like 520 kilos or something. <laughs> It's yeah, pretty yeah. serious. And I mean, this is a man I'm talking to right now that like pulls trucks with his bare hands. So from saying that to keeping humor at the center of the family, going through the dark period and not losing yourself in the illness by going back to that dark place, realizing your purpose and not taking it so seriously. Dave, I really thank you for being here today. Please share with the listeners where they can find you. Uh, what, my address? Of course, we want to, you know, reach out yeah. personally. Now your socials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you can find me on uh, either Instagram or Facebook and at sitting underscore bull underscore UK. And that's, uh, I'm even on in TikTok, but I don't, I don't use that. My, my daughter set it up and said, like, you know, if I post a video for you and it gets this many views, I'll get five pounds per, per video. And I was kind of like... You know, she's good business sense here, so yeah, go on then. But she did like four videos and left it. Um, so she's got good business sense, but not good work ethic. But yeah, you can find me on TikTok if you really need to. But yeah, mainly Instagram, but I do do, do Facebook as well. Wonderful. It has been a humorous 40 minutes with you. It's been such a pleasure getting to chat with you. And if you at home and listening would like to learn more about your core values, please visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. Thanks so much again for joining me, Dave. Keep thriving. Thank you. And thank you for doing the podcast and raising awareness. It, It does make a difference in people's lives. And on a serious note. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. Keep thriving. Keep thriving.